Hey, this is Tom Atona, Bullet Club original, OG, triple, triple, O freaking G, New Japan pro wrestling athlete, and you're listening to Wrestle In. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Ohio konnichiwa konbanwa, and welcome to Noob Japan. This is a Wrestle In podcast in which we explore the wonderful world of Japanese pro wrestling, one wrestler at a time, through the lens of an enthusiast and a noob. For this episode, the noob is myself, the maestro of memes and gifter of gifts, Kieran RH. But far more importantly, I have a very special guest joining me who will be playing the role of enthusiast. His profile has continuously risen throughout 2021. He's become one of the hottest wrestlers in the world today. He's a member of Violence Unlimited. He's a former Ring of Honor tag team champion. He's a big part of New Japan's roster in USA. The dirty daddy himself, Chris Dickinson. Chris, thank you so, so much for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. I'd love to talk about Japanese wrestling any chance I get. It's uh, obviously a huge part of my life that has a lot more to do than just with what I do for a living in my career. Uh, it's something that I obsess over on a daily basis, and uh, I have since I was probably 13, 14 years old around that time. So any chance to talk about Japanese wrestling, you know I'm in. I mean, that's why I reached out to you when I was thinking of doing this podcast. I was like, it'd be obviously cool to get some actual wrestlers and get their perspective in. And you're the first guy I thought of because you're just the most, I think I would argue the most knowledgeable wrestler going today when it comes to the Japanese side of wrestling, at least among, among English speaking wrestlers. You know, ev every day on social media, you're posting the vintage gold you're watching, you know, from the 60s, 70s, 80s, all the way to the current day. Um, you know, there's no one for my money that knows more about Japanese wrestling that's a professional wrestler than yourself. Oh, thank you. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's not like some sort of uh, thing where I'm trying to like show off like I'm the biggest nerd or I know the most or look, this is what I watch all the time. It's just, I think, and I think people that, that know me personally or speak to me or talk to me about it can see it's very genuine and it's something that I've, uh, I've just been so, uh, involved in and, and loved and followed so closely for so long so you know i'm uh i believe in in pro wrestling more than anything and japanese pro wrestling in particular to me is like the in in a lot of ways i mean because there's so much japanese pro wrestling i mean a lot of people don't realize that it's so much bigger than just new japan all japan pro wrestling no you know what i mean there's there's tons of variety there's a lot of Japanese wrestling that doesn't take itself very seriously. There's so much Japanese wrestling, just like there's so much American wrestling. There's so much indie wrestling over there. But it's something that I've followed so closely for so many years, and I'm uh, a student of the game. It's because I, uh, I, know, I always uh, had a very, a very strong and distinct idea about the pro wrestler I wanted to be. And, um, and I know what I felt when I was watching... A lot of these guys that I uh, grew up watching from, you know, Japanese wrestling and the way they made me feel and how I could relate to them. I could relate to these guys a lot more because I grew up training in martial arts. I grew up training in Kyokushin. I, uh, you know, grew up training in judo and, and just uh, being exposed to, I guess, Eastern culture or Eastern philosophy at a young age before I even knew what Japanese wrestling was. So when I, when I was able to first see uh, someone, for example, like a Shinya Hashimoto, using the offense that he did and uh, having the style that he did, the aesthetic that he did, it was something that I could relate to because it was something that over here in American television pro wrestling, which is what, you know, 
someone like me grew up with as a kid, which was the most accessible, the most easily accessible. Uh, it it wasn't something that was uh, pushed to the forefront. It was, you know, the Japanese, uh, the Eastern, the martial arts style guys were kind of like uh, the mid card or the lower card, or they, the, you know, the Asian guys would be putting uh, kind of, uh, uh, you know, the stereotype gimmicks. You know what I mean? So. Japanese wrestling was 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 eye opening to me, and and back then you had to collect videotapes, so it wasn't like we had the internet where it would always just exploded all over every streaming platform. So you had to literally find one piece at a time, and then latch onto that one tape and watch it over and over and over, and then you got to hope to get the next one and then the next one and the next one, and then you'd read a little bit about this, or you'd hear a little bit about this, and then you'd kind of keep going and in in one or, or another direction it wasn't like how everything you could just learn it all in a, in a day or two now you know so you know japanese wrestling it's a it's my life let's talk about it <laughs> well i mean before we get to shinya hashimoto himself i've got you on the podcast it'd be foolish of me not to speak to you a bit about yourself before we get into shinya so we're yeah. recording this at the end of the year um and you know 2021's been you started the year in a surprise debut for New Japan Pro Wrestling, and unfortunately, you're ending the year uh, rehabbing from an injury. But in between all of that, what have been the highlights for you within wrestling in 2021? Oh, definitely. Speaking of New Japan Pro Wrestling, I mean, working for New Japan Pro Wrestling has been a, a literal dream come true. It is so bizarre. Um, I ended a pre-pandemic world uh, with a tour of Japan, working on the independence, and I did really well. And I remember being over there at like a fan greet, a meet and greet type of event for a freedom show. And I remember it was, in a, it was a fantastic event. And the fans over there are so appreciative. They're so kind. They're so just awesome. I've told the story before. So I was just hanging out there. Things had cooled down. I was drinking a beer. And I was looking on the TV at this place that where the, the fan event was. It was kind of like in a bar restaurant, this big open space. New Japan Pro Wrestling was playing on the television. And I remember saying to myself, man, if these people really dig me now and they're into me now and I'm getting treated like this, just being like, you know, basically a, a freelancer. I was like, I can only imagine how it would be if I worked for New Japan Pro Wrestling. And then the, the seeds just started planting in my mind of what I needed to do and creating my my goals of kind of fulfilling my dreams. I did not think that there would be a global pandemic and I would uh, enter uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling and find myself a you know a position there in the middle of this and having never even wrestled in Japan again since February of 2020 but i mean this is a unique time of of the world and our history and uh you know you got to roll with the punches and get and get it done no matter what no matter which way you can and kudos and you know much appreciation to new japan pro wrestling for truly wanting to expand into North America and believing in that expansion and putting together a team of individuals to spearhead that goal and to get it done, you know? And it's, uh, I always say like when it comes to the new Japan strong guys, you know, we're a team, we're a team. Shut up. That's my team. And, uh, you know, we're, when, when new Japan's putting this thing together, it's, you know, it's not about collecting talent. It's about building a team. That's Bill Belichick line, you know, and that's how I feel about about uh, about New Japan, and that's how I feel about a lot of Japanese wrestling in general. And you look back on a lot of Japanese wrestling companies; these guys, these guys came up together, they trained together, they trained each other, 
they uh, they have a system that they follow, um, and uh, it worked so well for so many of these companies, for so many of these individuals, and that's why they all ended up becoming some of the most talked about greatest wrestlers to ever walk the face of the earth. And you know, we're going to talk about one of them today. But as far as I'm doing with the injury and stuff, uh, I'm doing pretty good. I'm not going to lie. I knock on wood. I mean, I'm not going to I'm not going to sit here and sulk. It's only been a month, and uh, my fracture's already healed. I should be uh, completely walking with no crutches in two weeks. I could walk now. I'm not really supposed to, but I do walk across my apartment to go like get something from the fridge. You know, if I have to, I'm not. I, I and I can. You know, but as far as like ramping up the PT, ramping up weight training with my legs, that's another two weeks from now. Could start doing a little bit more extensive cardio, which I really haven't been able to do. So I've kind of looked at this last four to five weeks in the next two weeks. And, you know, it's good to happen around the holidays. It's almost like a vacation because physically I was very burnt out. I don't just wrestle for New Japan Pro Wrestling. I'm a freelancer and I get to wrestle for a lot of other organizations as well. And if you, you know, go look at my cage match or whatever you want to do to look at analytics or match numbers, I wrestled a lot the last year. And um, I think my body was kind of, uh, was kind of run down. And I think I actually needed a break. So I'm kind of looking at this as a little bit of a vacation to enjoy myself, be a little bit more lenient with the diet. But I know when January comes, you know, it's gonna time. It's time to you know lock it down because I'm gonna get back on the bike. I'm gonna start sweating again, and I'm gonna have to start really, really watching what I'm eating because I want to come back better than I than I was when I went in. I want to come back, and I want people to be like, "Oh my god, like this guy doesn't even look like you know." I want to. I want it to look like literally. I went on a vacation and I had nothing to do but train and eat right and just get myself together because. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, you're saying about your matches last year in Japan. If people haven't seen that, they should definitely... Uh, it was with GCW part of it. You should definitely check out the match with uh, Yuji Okabayashi in uh, Shinkiba. That match was is a phenomenal two hosses just fucking going at it. It's a brilliant match of yours. Yeah, thank you. Um, you know, that's another thing I'll say about Japanese wrestling, a variety of styles, a variety of different uh, companies and different dojos with um, different ideals. And, you know, um, I've been blessed. I've been able to wrestle Japanese wrestlers, you know, ranging from Japanese young boys to uh, absolute legends, legends who've accomplished some of the greatest things you could ever imagine in professional wrestling. So... I'm lucky. I've gotten to share the ring with guys who work for different companies, who have different backgrounds, and uh, you know, there's a lot. It's a lot. There's a lot to it. It's a lot. You know, a lot of people have a very, uh, a very uh, small, a very uh, what can I say, a simple idea of what Japanese wrestling is to casual fans who may not know too much about it. You know, they kind of just think, uh, oh, strong style. It's kind of like this very misused term or fighting spirit or you know, what's this, this? Oh, it's when you don't. When you get dumped on your head, then you just get up and yell, and then hit, you know, no, 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 no. There's a lot more to it than you think. So, thank you, my friend, for creating shows like this and having things like this for people to, you know, educate themselves on. I mean, that's the idea. We've uh, covered. Uh, we're only a few episodes in, but we've gone from someone like Okada to Lulu Pencil was our last episode. And, Lulu Pencil. You know, <laughs> We want to, we want to, you know, show just how diverse and awesome the wrestling landscape is in Japan, and we'll cover the Gaijins as well. We've got an episode with Vader that we've recorded in the bank that's going to be coming up too. Um, it's yeah, all very good. exciting. That's a good choice. <laughs> so, you know, as Chris has already mentioned a couple of times, 
the topic of discussion, the subject for this episode is Shinya Hashimoto. And when I reached out to Chris, you know, with the idea for this podcast coming on the episode, I said <coughs> to him, which wrestlers would he like to speak about? He gave me two names. He said Keiji Muto, and he gave me Shinya Hashimoto. And I selfishly made a decision and picked Shinya Hashimoto because I think he is a guy that doesn't get as much credit as other guys do just on social media and things like that. You see, you know, every day you see a gif of the, uh, the four pillars or, you know, someone like Muto or, you know, all these big names. But for some reason, Hashimoto just never gets talked about as much. So I thought he'd be a great name to cover, especially with someone like Chris here at the helm to talk about him. But Chris, you why know, did you want to speak about Hashimoto yourself? I mean, because he is, you know, and I work for New Japan Pro Wrestling, and uh, obviously, I want to be in tune with the company that I uh, that I work for as history as much as I can. You know, I want to I want to understand what got it to this point, what the what what the what tra- what tradition means to New Japan Pro Wrestling and you know Shinya Hashimoto is such a huge part of that of that chunk of of uh, of you know late eighties and nineties New Japan Pro Wrestling which was so tremendous and so 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 influential and he was one of the first Japanese wrestlers I found out about when I was a kid and getting into it and delving into it from like the little bit of exposure that that stuff got over here uh, because of say WCW or, you know, uh, ECW, uh, you know, when you WWF would bring someone or you'd see these guys and you'd hear these guys and see these names and then you still find out, okay, well, what's, well, WCW was really really the, the the most help when finding out about this stuff. And Shinya Hashimoto is one of those first guys I found out about. But even so, maybe he is someone who I didn't learn to completely appreciate as much until I was more experienced and more seasoned. And then I realized, like, wow, okay, this guy is incredible, and he's one of my all-time favorite wrestlers. And, you know, he's in arguably my all-time favorite match. You know, So he's... um. He's someone who, uh, you know, like like I said, like about myself earlier, karate background, judo background, tons of physical charisma, just so much facial and so much body language and just so much attitude, you know what I mean? And just just a, just a badass. So, yeah, that's why I kind of chose to want to talk about him today. And, yeah, you know what? I think you're right in a way. Um, I do feel like maybe on uh, – on this side of, of the pond where I'm at, he maybe he goes a little bit overlooked. Maybe it has to do with when he passed away. Um, maybe it has to do with, uh, you know, the fact that the pillars and all that stuff and those guys, they just got so popular out here in the West, especially in the last couple of years, the all Japan stuff and that whole, that whole era that I think a lot of people kind of almost underappreciate nineties, new Japan. They don't, understand that you know yeah 90s all japan i mean yes i trust me my whole life is built around my fandom of 90s all japan pro wrestling sure but 90s new japan pro wrestling was pretty insane and i think a lot of people overlook that yeah i think like especially when it comes to the 90s new japan the the thing that people at least myself i immediately think of is more of the juniors the you know of course the um, Super J Cup and things like that. And it does end up with a guy like Shinya Hashimoto, despite his legacy, despite being arguably the greatest IWGP heavyweight champion, that he, yeah, he just doesn't get this much acknowledgement uh, on social media between 
on either between Western fans. Yes, and you know what? I'll listen. I'll I'll attribute that going back to my days of first uh, accumulating VHS tapes of pro wrestling. I uh, was, you know, I didn't have that much money. I was like for a 14, 15 year old kid, I wasn't like asking my mom to buy me wrestling videotapes. If I accumulated some money or if I made some money doing something, I'd buy stuff. But you know, the nineties, new Japan junior stuff, that was kind of like what was cool and what you kind of like looked at and found for new Japan stuff at first, you know, and then you buy your best of great Muda or you something like that. And, but I was more so buying the all Japan stuff back in my high school days and then I became a big fan of pro wrestling Noah. So yeah, you know, it's just that just comes down to you know how much money could I spend on all this stuff. It the internet wasn't as full of information as it is now, so there was a lot of stuff about New Japan pro wrestling in particular and that era that I found out more about after. And uh, you know, thankfully we have these beautiful things like you know NJPW World now where you could uh, kind of go on there and discover all this stuff. And, you know, people obviously upload so much more content. There's so much more access to uh, Japanese people and their uh, accounts on these uh, streaming services or the, these video platforms where you can upload stuff. So you find people that are like just uploading stuff. And there's so many ways to find stuff more so than there used to be. So my usual first question on this podcast is, who was Shinya Hashimoto? But I feel like you've already pretty much hit that nail on the head. So we can skip over that one. What was his wrestling style like? If someone hadn't seen Shinya Hashimoto in the ring before, how would you describe him? You know, he's he's uh he's pretty unique, honestly. He's big dude. He's pretty big dude. Uh, I'd say big, you know, pretty heavy for a Japanese guy. I mean, at his size, five eleven, um, probably about two hundred and seventy pounds. I'm sure something like that. You know, hundred and twenty. 125 kilos or something uh he's a lot a lot obviously a lot of striking he throws a lot of kicks a lot of like a lot of chops um a lot of attitude and he's kind of like a badass i don't know he's like uh yeah obviously i mean it's kind of like a like a funny comparison but he's like karate elvis a little bit you know what i mean he seems like when elvis was like going through his karate phase <laughs> When he, and he was like kind of all like geed up and just doing all that crazy karate looking stuff, but he actually is kicking some serious ass. I mean, you gotta you gotta realize. Let's 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 be realistic here. He was trained in the eighties, so if he can't if he entered the dojo and say like eighty four, right? Obviously, he's training alongside uh, all those dudes, uh, Keiji Muto. Um, Masachono, I'm sure Minoru Suzuki was there, you know, countless others. And, you know, obviously he's probably being, he's being trained in catch wrestling and submission wrestling. Um, he's probably absolutely busting his ass. But, you know, he had a striking acumen because he had a karate background and a judo background. Kind of like, you know, hey, me. So, um, obviously his style was a lot of striking, but he did, he did wrestle. And just like, I mean... Without like getting into too much uh, detail, or I guess breaking too much kayfabe, but I guess it's kind of like inevitable for me as a wrestler watching him. Just like high emotion, high drama. You know, really, really, really knows how to like draw out those moments at the end, building to the bigger maneuvers and the bigger false finishes, and 
I mean, just utilize is a very simple move set. I mean, and that is something that I employ in my style is like, you know, so I think simplicity is best. I think less is more. And I think overcomplicating stuff is it's not for me. You know, there's guys that could work a style like that, but I appreciate someone like Hashimoto who could just like, you know, has the, the charisma to work the crowd and the cameras and like hit that awesome karate pose before he hits one kick. You know what I mean? Do you understand what I'm talking about? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think he, uh, if I was to compare him to the four pillars, I would say he very much reminds me of Misawa in that he's not got the most obvious character in the world. He's a big dude. You know, he's got the karate looking setup, you know, the, the white wrap around the, the head and things like that. But yeah. his, what, his character is just his in-ring. He just radiates something else. There, there's just that intangible about him that when he is in the ring, you're in for something special. And this is, a, like you said, he's a big guy when it comes to Japanese standards. He really stood out without having to try to stand out. He was just naturally had this aura about him. Yeah, I mean, listen, when you're like a kid, when you're like someone like me who grew up in karate, who grew up in martial arts, and you see this dude with the hachimaki, with the, you know, he comes out in the cool robe, he's throwing all these kicks, he's got the karate pants on. I mean, like, that's the shit I wanted to see. I wanted to see dudes using martial arts techniques in a pro wrestling setting. And uh, and he was somebody who kind of like gave me what I wanted. And, and But at the end of the day, it all comes down to fire. And it all comes down to, to that fighting spirit, you know, and that and, and he had it. Uh, he had it in, in droves. You know, this was somebody who was able to really get a crowd behind him just by, you know, his selling his comebacks, his fire, big, 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 big energy, you know? So he, uh, he definitely, uh, he definitely is one of my favorites. And, you know, he had a lot of good, obviously had a lot of great, a lot of amazing, a lot of the best wrestlers of all time as dance partners. So, I mean, we're talking about somebody who really had uh, all the right intangibles and all the right things in the right places to really have a remarkable career. You mentioned when he was training, some of the names he was training alongside, two of them being Muto and Chono. And of course, the three of them were collectively known and dubbed by the press as the Three Musketeers. What did it mean to be one of the Three Musketeers? Well, I think they actually formed the Three Musketeers on a, in an excursion in like right. Puerto Rico or something like that. And, uh, I mean, you got to understand, like, you know, this is the young and up and coming talent. I mean, if you go back and watch a lot of 80s New Japan pro wrestling, I mean, 80s New Japan pro wrestling is like absolutely incredible. And you got all that stuff going on from like 86 on with like the UWF stuff uh, and just so many great wrestlers and so many guys that all, all definitely probably trained together and came up together. So you got all these dudes who are like, they're badass shooters. They're amazing pro wrestlers. Antonio Inoki's in the mix. You know, Massa Saito's back out of jail, and people are bleeding all over the place, and there's chaos, and there's all this new and up-and-coming talent coming coming up, and you got, like, Keiji Muto, you know, Space Lone Wolf, uh, Massa Chono. I don't, when did Ch Chono even debut? He, he was still young. I, I still just, like, walking guys out to the ring. I think in, like, 86, 87, then he kind of started getting in there. Then Hashimoto. Hashimoto... When did Hashimoto debut? He had to be somewhere 84. He debuted at 84, maybe. Um, 
goes on excursion. I guess they all started getting seasoned up. They formed the, the, the three musketeers. And I mean, they pretty much carried the company as like the three top heavyweights over the course of the next 10 years, pretty much, you know, basically if you give or take the next 10 years before, I guess his, his inevitable falling out at like the end of the, the 99, 2000 around that time. But they, uh, they pretty much ran shit. And I mean, the, what really is it for me is that whole uh, feud with UWFI in the mid nineties where like Hashimoto wrestled Takata, Keijimuto wrestled Takata, all those matches. I thought that stuff was, is incredible. I watch it all the time still. I mean, you've touched on it before uh, and you've just touched on it again. Who do you think Hashimoto's best opponents were? Well, I mean, Keijimuto. <laughs> uh, Keiji Mudo, I mean, his matches with Keiji Mudo are just incredible. Um, I still I watched all the same ones all the time. Um, I thought Scott Norton was a really good opponent for Hashimoto. I thought he had a lot of good matches with him. Uh, oh, dude, I, do you remember when he first won the... Uh, do, you, do you remember, uh, what was it? Not when he first won the, I don't know when he first won the IWGP title. He had a lot of great... Do you, do you ever see his match with Victor Zangief? No, no, I haven't. A lot of people don't talk enough about Victor Zangief and how good of a pro wrestler he was. Uh, he was a guy who kind of got brought into New Japan in the late uh, 80s. He eventually became a UWFI guy. Incredible wrestler from Russia. Uh, there was like that tournament um, for the IWGP title. He wrestled uh, Ricky Choshu, Victor Zangief. Oh, and then he lost to Vader. He lost to Vader in like the finals. I, You know, all those guys are just such great opponents. Great opponents for him, but I mean, like I said, I mean, his best opponent, in my opinion, is Keiji Muto for sure. Earlier as well, you mentioned one of your uh, one of your favorite matches of all time is a Hashimoto match, and I think I, uh, if I was to take a guess, I would say it was his match against Takada in the Tokyo Dome. Well, that one definitely for sure is one of my favorites, but my my favorite match, like I say. Sometimes like it's people ask me what's my all-time favorite matches, and it's like such a hard question. It's kind of a silly question. Yeah. There's so many matches, but ninety-five G one climax with Keiji Muto and Shinya Hashimoto is just uh, absolutely incredible. And they had a match a couple months before that, like leading into it to really like set the table for that one, and that one's really incredible too. But uh, they had a couple matches there in ninety-five if you could go find them going into that g1 climax that was just like absolutely insane and uh he was you know kind of like a pioneer in his own way for like you know those cross promotional mixed martial arts like uh, bouts that enoki was you know promoting and trying to do the different style fights they called them he you know wrestled tony home uh ludwig borga Dennis Lane, that Ramzan uh, Shabib guy, uh, Victor Zangief. Like, you know, I, you know, when you go back and look at it, you know, people call it, people love to throw that, that Enochiaism term around. I think they don't even really know what it means, a lot of it. But like, we don't have this world of MMA and UFC and all of this shit that, I mean, has evolved so tremendously over the last 20 years. We don't have any of that if we don't have uh, Antonio Inoki, Muhammad Ali obviously originally, but then you gotta think about all of the mixed matches and all of the, you know, the MMA, mixed martial arts and all these 
pro wrestling versus the world type, you know, matches that were promoted under the New Japan umbrella. And then inevitably other companies were formed and this and that. But, you know, Shinya Hashimoto took place in, in, a, in, a, in a good amount of those matches against guys from different sports and judo and wrestling and all this stuff. So Sambo. So, you know, this is like the, this is someone who also, if you know, look back on it and you really examine it, has a big hand in the evolution of mixed martial arts as we know it today. Yeah, I mean, you say everything about Inoki, of course, that's why New Japan is called the king of sports because Inoki was so hell-bent on proving that professional wrestling is the strongest and the best of all the sports. And, you know, it had its pros and it certainly had its cons. But, yeah, without that, we don't have UFC. We don't have everything we have today. Yeah, and, you know, there was a... I don't know if it was like a work or whatever because, you know, kayfabe baby, man. Our friends over there in <laughs> Japan, they don't play around. They, they, you know, those, those, especially those old dudes... Kayfabe is king, and that's why that stuff was so good, and that's why Japanese wrestling rules. Um, he was, like, invited, I remember. I think there's that... He was asked to do, like, a UWFI thing that was going to be a shoot, or it was going to be a shoot tournament, or maybe it wasn't. We don't know, you know what I mean? And he, like, declined, and there was, like, some... Like, they'll pay him, like, a, that, like a 500 million yen or something. I remember that. It was like, uh, go look it up. I know for sure... Um, he was invited to, to go to UWFI and like he declined in like 1995 or four during that whole thing. So I remember something like that, but yeah, the Japanese wrestling is crazy back in the day. It was so good. I just want to point out a couple of things because like, you know, at the top of the podcast, we both, I, you know, I said, I think you're the most knowledgeable in professional wrestling and you were very humble. Obviously you're just a big fan. Uh, I've since Googled Hashimoto did debut in 1984. So you did get that correct. Oh, and he I just woke up. I'm drinking a <laughs> I'm drinking a black cherry vanilla bang that I bought at the store last night. I literally just got up. I'm I went to bed at like four in the morning. i I've been up all night. I was up all night watching this Tom Brady docu five part documentary. So I'm like <laughs> this is the joy of the vacation life. I get to just like, you know, make frozen pizzas and <laughs> watch sports documentaries till four in the morning live, live in the dream and live he... in the dream man because because i always keep telling myself that's gonna be over in a few weeks and i'm gonna have to be fucking weighing chicken and rice <laughs> so i'm trying to like enjoy i'm trying to like enjoy this month of like since like the tr the, the the hospital and all the surgery that was absolutely terrible it was the worst so since then i've just been like you know what self-care <laughs> do you deserve it treat yourself yeah. Um, and also, yep, he was invited into the UWFI's uh, shoot wrestling tournament, it was called, in 1994. And it was 100 million yen, but he refused to participate. Yeah, I thought, yeah, 500 million yen or something. I don't know. See, that could be a work or whatever, but hey, whatever. It sounds awesome. And the thing yeah. is, those people back in the day, I mean, you go back and listen to those crowds and you tell me that those people didn't think what was going on was real. It, it's, it's like they're going absolutely bananas. You, I, I was watching. Told you, I was watching the sports documentary, like or whatever. Last, I was watching uh, when David Tyree catches the, the the helmet catch in the, the Super Bowl in two thousand and seven, and the Giants win that Super Bowl. And now you listen to a crowd erupt like that. That is how these crowds sounded back then. Especially you go back to like eighties New Japan when the UWF New Japan stuff was happening, or you go back to that ninety five time. Go watch that G one climax match, and that's the reason why. 
I always reference these matches as my favorite matches. It's because of like the environment, the the crowd atmosphere. It's insane. It's like something that can't, that can't be duplicated. And you see those crowds a lot in those old matches from the '90s and the '80s, especially New Japan, All Japan. But that, some of those matches with Hashimoto from that time, like absolutely, the crowds are insane. It is like at an NFL Super Bowl or the World Cup or the you know World Series Game Seven. Uh, it's it's like man, you don't see American crowds react like that anymore. It's not even a thing, you know. It's it's not even real. I don't think you get crowds react like that with anything anymore. It is it, it was just a perfect storm back in the day when I look back and watch any old matches from like, you know, the seventies, eighties or nineties, just the reaction a guy like Shinya would Hashimoto would get. And I think um Jumbo Saruta like had this connection with the crowd and arguably had some of the loudest reactions of all time. It's just it it, it makes it so easy to get invested in the matches. When I was first started exploring older Japanese wrestling. You know, I didn't know who half of these guys were, but the crowds were just so loud, so invested. You know, someone like Dr. Def Steve Williams would get his uh, get his arms around someone to, del to deliver a backdrop driver and the, the gasps from the crowd just scared that their hero is going to get dumped. It's just impossible to not get drawn in. It, let me go back to something I mentioned earlier about Hashimoto and, you know, reason why I'm so uh, attracted to him as a pro wrestler is timing. Is timing and 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 you listen to that the the way the those guys build those crowds, and the way they build their matches, and the way they execute, and the ticks that they take in between each thing, and the all the little attention to the detail that goes into everything else going on other than the actual physical stuff that's happening. It's almost like that stuff is secondary, and all of the drama is is what's really the the the, the stirring the drama and creating the drama <clears throat> and um you know japanese pro wrestling uh we have a you know has a tendency to you know people say oh it's, it's more serious or it's it's more it's the more physical or it's the more athletic or it's the more it's the more real or they say but these guys are are, are better actors than or better performers or, you know, than, than, uh, you know, what people would think are the, who are the, the, the greatest sports entertainers of our, of our wrestling over here in American TV wrestling. And they just, these guys know how to perform. They know how to get a crowd, uh, you know, absolutely, you know, pulling their hair out, crying their eyes out and screaming, you know, and, and that, and it, and it doesn't, and if you really go back and watch, and that's what I said about myself being influenced by someone like Hashimoto, employing a very simple offense uh employing you know a very like easy to understand um style of pro wrestling that you know relates to you know the heroic ideal and 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 what's the most important part about about pro wrestling and and about fighting spirit and about strong styles like never giving up fighting back, you know, through adversity, um, making those big comebacks, you know, big drama, big emotion, you know, and that's, and, and Shinya Hashimoto, I mean, you don't need me to tell you, he does not need my endorsement, but he is an absolute master. He was a master at this. So, you know, that's, that's why he's so celebrated to this day. But like we did say, he is, he does go a little bit, he flies a little bit under the radar, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I think, would you say he's like a wrestler's wrestler? Do you know what I mean? Like, that's a term that gets thrown around and, you know, as a fan, it, you know, I, maybe I have the wrong interpretation of it, but like someone like you who loves him so much and has, reveres him so greatly as a wrestler yourself that throws flowers at his feet more than a fan 
necessarily well, would. Maybe. I mean, you know, you gotta you gotta realize, dude, he died in two thousand and like four or five or six or something like that. So a lot of and like I'm you know, I don't know, I I guess are we both in our we're both in our thirties, right? Uh I'm almost there. Oh, you're in your twenties? Yeah. Oh, good for you. Uh, <laughs> So I'm old, you know, and uh, and I'm not old though, as a comparison to somebody who I I mean I, I wasn't conscious and I'm eight years old in 1995 watching New Japan Pro Wrestling. It wasn't a thing, but I <laughs> so I discovered a lot of this after the fact. There's a lot of young fans out there, man. A lot of young fans. A lot of people who aren't gonna go back and scour the internet and scour the past. So there's a lot of people who may not have ever been able to see him or have experienced this guy because he passed away, you know, 16 years ago or 17 years ago or whatever. But I think in Japan, or we say was he a wrestler's wrestler? Maybe sure. But in Japan, I'm I'm sure he was a tremendous celebrity and a huge star. And I mean he appeared on like television shows and all sorts of shit. And um, you know, yeah, I mean you don't headline events in front of 60,000 people if you know you're just over with the with what you know guys just think you're good but I, th- I think he was a huge star in his time and obviously huge enough to go and you know kind of headline his own promotion and you know be his own thing in his own right you know what i'm saying so i think he has a huge had a huge following and in his his time it was a huge mega star in japan but he didn't really ever did he i don't think he ever worked here uh, if he, um, I, I think he worked. He had some matches in WCW. I don't know. I'm assuming it was in America, but mm. I know he worked for WCW. Yeah, and I think after New Japan, he was on a bunch of shows and shit, and maybe in some movies. I know I watched like one TV show he was on one time. They like filmed it in the old New Japan dojo. Um, but yeah, he's he had to be a huge star. I'm sure back in his day, man, big time. Yeah, I mean he. You people say you know he's one of the greatest IWGP champ, uh, heavyweight champions. He was a three-time champion throughout the nineties. Uh, you know the case could be argued that he was their top guy throughout the nineties. You know he was at the forefront of these uh, different style fights against the UWF guys, main event in the Tokyo Dome numerous times. So it'd be you know he's absolutely one of their biggest stars of the nineties, if not the biggest star of the nineties. Yeah, and you know what. Let's give him credit for other things too. Whether or not how much he had to do with this, because he was, you know, he could have. There could have been other people booking, running stuff. I don't, I don't know that much about the initial history of Zero One Pro Wrestling, but I mean, Zero One Pro Wrestling in the in those early days was responsible for bringing a lot of those popular indie guys who were making a name for themselves over here in the United States out to Japan for the first time. I mean. Low key, AJ Styles, uh, Spanky, guys like that. I mean, Samoa Joe. Samoa Joe, I mean, he initially was a, a zero one guy, you know, and, 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 and he used to train a lot at the New Japan LA dojo back in the day when, like, you know, Inoki was running it and, uh, and, and all those guys were there, like Rocky and TJ and American Dragon. And, and Joe was there too. And I remember talking to, like, Dave Marquez and, uh, about like how come Joe never ended up in New Japan too back in the day, and I don't know because he did he did zero one and he was this and that. I was like, but technically, if you go back, I think the history is like I think zero one was actually kind of owned by New Japan almost in like the same way or funded in a. I don't know exactly, so I could be wrong. Don't quote me. There's people that know more than me. Maybe you do. I could have been like a, a UWF thing where it's like. Inoki had a hand in it, but it was like kind of secret. And but I think like zero one 
for what it was, I don't think it was completely separate from New Japan even after he left New Japan, you know what I mean? Right, yeah, no, that's the first I've heard of it. I didn't know about it. I just assumed Zero One was its own thing. Yeah, but this is stuff that's not on the... isn't as prevalent on the internet. It's just I know yeah. this, a lot of this stuff because I just know all these people, so I don't want to, like, give away too many people's private business. But that is something that I did hear and something that I do that I do know it could have been a thing. But like I'm saying, kudos to Zero One for exposing Japanese wrestling fans to a lot of guys that were making a name for themselves over here. And it was so cool to see that because I was a huge fan, obviously, of the Loki and uh, and um, Brian Kendrick, Spanky, and Samoa Joe. Forget about it. I saw Samoa Joe wrestling in Zero One on a VHS tape before he ever even came to Ring of Honor. You know, because I was, I found Samoa Joe on the internet and I was like, who is this guy? He looks so cool. And, you know, that was my introduction to Pro Wrestling Zero One was Samoa Joe. So uh, that's, uh, I thought, I think that's pretty, that's pretty cool because obviously I'm a, I'm a Gaijin wrestler myself. And, you know, it was my dream and my goal to wrestle in Japan. And I actually did wrestle for Zero One Pro Wrestling in Japan. And, um, you know, to, to see, a place like that give opportunities to people who were kind of new and up and coming in the business at the time. That was revolutionary stuff, you know. Everybody wants everybody had that that tape, that DVD of Loki's like first matches in Japan in zero one, you know. It was good, it was a good time. Do you think there's anybody in the modern day that is like a Hashimoto? Is there anyone like, you know, say if I had no idea who Shinya Hashimoto was, that you could say he's kind of like, you know, a Tomohiro Ishii or a Samoa Joe, or who, is there anyone that springs to mind? Samoa Joe, man. Samoa Joe was like a, he was like one of my all-time favorite wrestlers, first of all. I feel like Samoa Joe definitely had a lot of vibes, a lot of those Hashimoto vibes, and he knew Hashimoto personally, and he he definitely was influenced, I'd say, by Hashimoto, and I think a lot of his energy a lot of his his uh, his aura was was very much influenced by Hashimoto. So I would definitely give Joe. I would say Joe is is comparable to him. And then, I mean, look at him; they're very similar, uh, very similar physically and aesthetically, uh, for sure. I mean, I kind of you know I'm not gonna compare myself to Hashimoto because I, I do have a little bit more of a a different style, but I do employ a lot of Hashimoto, and I do. I always say this to people, and you can call me a mark or whatever, but, you know, I am just a collection of all my favorite wrestlers because I love to watch pro wrestling. So, you know, I'm, it's, it's how I, you know, you build your ideas of the, the, the wrestler you want to be and, your, you know, your influences. It's the same thing with being a musician, you know what I mean? You draw influences from things, and there's many times where I'm wrestling or manifesting what I see myself doing, and I am living vicariously through someone like Shinya Hashimoto, you know, whether it's one, one thing that happened in one match or whether it's one comeback. And it's like, man, I know I need to like bring this energy like this. I need this big fire right here. I need this. I need this right here. And I'm seeing that, you know, as I'm, uh, as it's happening, I know for sure. Uh, one of the the biggest Hashimoto fans out there I, is uh, Eddie Kingston for sure. He loves Hashimoto so much, and um, I think he kind of borrows from him a little bit with those like pants and stuff. And uh, it's just oh, I think he's he's a big he's a big fan of Hashimoto. So I know for sure he really digs him. As far as like over there now, uh, Japanese wrestling style. I mean Ishi, uh, Ishi, Ishi for sure, definitely a little bit 
It's just uh, Ishii's got his own his own style. I think Ishii's kind of carved his own niche. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. But uh, yeah, is uh, Hashimoto. Hmm. I think I do. <laughs> I think I do the best brain buster though, to be honest. And I totally do it in in uh, in uh, kind of memoriam to Hashimoto. He's my influence for wanting to do it. So I don't know. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. There's some guys that got some good brain busters and shit. But yeah, y'all ain't even on my level. So I'm just just putting that out there. Well, I was gonna say I think Hashimoto's probably got the most deadliest brain buster ever. It just looks so like it looks like death every time. His brain buster is insane. But and, and I'm but but you gotta go back and watch like the ones he gives to Mudo. Like that one he gives him in that ninety-five G one climax where Mudo tries to like almost bend his legs down to like put his legs back down on the mat and Mudo's not a small guy. Like he's pretty big. He's like six foot two. Probably at that point, 230 or 40 pounds. I mean, like, that brain buster. Go watch that one. That 95 Dior Climax brain buster is fucking bananas. It is, like, absolutely insane. But, yeah, Hashimoto, his brain buster is absolutely nasty. I mean, I was going to ask you the final question, but I think you've already answered it just then. I was going to say, if you had to just let you just... Just suggest one match for listeners to seek out that, you know, perfectly encapsulates who Shinya Hashimoto Hashimoto is and who he was and how he wrestled. I'm guessing your recommendation would be that 95 G1 Climax versus Muto. Yeah, but I mean, don't just limit it to 20 minutes. You know, watch all of the matches leading up to it. Go on World and look at like all of the matches that he had with Muto leading up to that match. And I mean, there's a lot of other matches too. Listen, there's a, there's a lot of matches. You could go watch him wrestling Scott Norton. You could go watch him wrestling Vader. You could go watch him wrestling these like Gaijins. And he took it to those guys. And if you go and read uh, Scott Norton's book, he talks about like Hashimoto was stiff and he was whooping ass and he was bringing it, you know. And that was what those guys did. You know, they I'm sh- I'm sure they took care of each other. But man, when it when they got in there, you know. Apologize later. You know, we're gonna go at it. We're big dudes. And and I think he was trying to really like make sure people knew like he was uh he was the he was the fucking man around there, you know what I mean? And and he um and he did and he did what he had to do, and that was all part of his aura, part of his attitude, part of his aesthetic. And that's badass. That's badass, man. That's that's it sounds like to me like pro wrestling's real, right? You know what I mean? And that's exactly what it should be. That's exactly what it should be. So someone like him, I think, is a uh, a great representation of pro wrestling, you know, in its in its in its absolute realist form. Like you could go back and look at somebody like that and see someone who's really defending the honor of pro wrestling as as real as possible and lots of energy, lots of fire. And that's 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 the real definition of strong style. You know what I mean? That's people have a very misconstrued idea of what strong style is that term it's you know and and that whole thing and and it really uh i when i think of strong style i do i think of shinya hashimoto i think of new japan pro wrestling i think of antonio inoki i think of that new japan dojo i think of the the musketeers i think of the uwf i think of carl gotch and antonio inoki satoru siyama and and you got to think about that you got to think about that this guy if he debuted in 1984 and he was training in that dojo in the early 80s, man, he was in that mix with pretty much the best wrestlers to ever walk the face of the earth getting trained by the, you know, the most badass human beings, you know, ever. And this is pro wrestling 
as a martial art, these guys were trained killers, but they also were trained and knew how to work. And, uh, you know, that's where you get this energy. That's where you get this fire. That's where you get somebody like Shinya Hashimoto, you know what I'm saying? And Keiji Muto and guys who went on to basically be like the cornerstones who could never be replaced of an entire, you know, culture's version of this, prof- this, pro- this professional wrestling that we know and love, you know? Well, I thought to wrap it up, I know I know one Shinya Hashimoto story and there's every chance that you've heard it before, Chris, but I'd have a good uh, idea that our listeners probably haven't and it was told to me by Kevin Kelly. Um, apparently, it's a famous tale that bounces around the New Japan locker rooms quite often. Uh, so it was that Hashimoto once spent a whole day collecting cicadas. And if you don't know what cicadas are, they're these bugs and they're super loud. They're not very nice. They make this really awful loud noise. Uh, so Hashimoto was collecting cicadas, cicadas, frying them in a box all day. And then he was doing it because later in the day, he released them all in Satoshi Kojima's room as a prank. Oh my God. Um, and apparently, I think that's just, you know, you've gone on about how much Shinya Hashimoto is this, you know, like you said, he let, he was stiff. Guys like Scott Norton would say he was stiff and he's super talented, super strong, super like, you know, his name was the King of Destruction for a reason. Yeah, you've got this dichotomy of the King of Destruction spending his day in a park collecting bugs because he wanted to prank Kojima. <laughs> yeah, he uh, sounds pretty ridiculous. But uh, pro wrestlers back in the day used to pull shit like that on each other. It's a nice little story. It's a nice little dichotomy. And of course, you know, we haven't, we've not touched on his stuff in Hustle. But, um, you know, when I was before this podcast doing my research, of course, and he would be dancing in Hustle. He had his own little jig that he would do before matches and stuff, and not everyone would want to join in with him, but he seemed to love it and still always be up for it. Oh, yeah, dude. Tiger Hattori, you all know, you know who Tiger Hattori is, obviously. Yep. yep. Um, God bless him. He, he somehow ended up becoming like my, my best buddy this last year because he actually lives about 20 minutes from me. <laughs> oh, wow. So once we discovered that... Uh, we hung out a bunch of times and uh, I heard a lot of stories. And um, <laughs> so Tiger Hattori, um, you know, he moved to the United States in like 1969. And uh, at this point that he wasn't even in pro wrestling, he was just teaching judo and was, uh, you know, he was a two time national champion, amateur wrestler in Japan. And he broke into the business in Florida after he had already moved here because of, you know, people he knew from university, amateur wrestling, because they're all, a lot of those guys who started New Japan Pro Wrestling and all of those, the the, the nucleus behind all of those Japanese wrestling promotions that were starting and, you know, New Japan, all Japan, they all were guys who knew each other from university and amateur wrestling. A lot of them, they all either went to the same schools or they knew each other from different schools, but they all were, were shooters, wrestlers, you know. And uh, he knew uh, Hiro Matsuda, who was in Florida. And long story short, he broke into the business. So he, but he was here already from the 69, 70, teaching judo in like Brooklyn and Manhattan. He bought real estate. And uh, so he's a dual citizen. Uh, he's been here. He's been, a, he's been a New Yorker longer than me. You know, he's more so uh, he, a lot of the guys 
would come and stay in his apartments or one of, he had a big apartment and they, they, you know, guys would want to come to the United States. Shinya Hashimoto apparently used to come and stay in New York for like two months at a time or something. Like just live here and, and uh, stay in Tiger Tori's apartment. Like if Tiger Tori was in Japan, he'd let guys come and Hashimoto apparently came like a few times and uh, he loved New York City, apparently. That's, uh, yeah, you know, you never would have thought it. Like you said, we you didn't even know if he wrestled in America, but he was clearly making his way there sneakily just to chill out. Exactly, like you know, because there was no social media or anything like that. So, but apparently, like, you know, he was like uh, Tiger was telling me all about his uh, his escapades in New York City and this and that, and I, <laughs> that to me is like invaluable. You know what I'm saying? It's just it's like I can't believe. That's when you know it's like you've reached the uh, the pinnacle of, uh, of of shoot stuff of learning all this 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 shit about these guys that you're obsessed over and you're a big fan over is when I got like someone like him telling me about the you know all this these these stories and this stuff that I that I really shouldn't talk about that you know you hear about and it's funny and I don't but I don't want to break kayfabe on guys but uh, uh, I mean yeah. Ty- Tiger Hattori is a guy that deserves his own episode of this podcast he's been around forever I mean how many referees get their own ceremony at Coroquen Hall to, for their retirement. Dude, I mean, that guy, forget about it. He's like, <laughs> first of all, he's the coolest motherfucker ever walking the face of the earth. He's like, he's, he's just the man. He's, that's, that's, that's my bestie, bro. So uh, he, uh, he's got, he could tell you some things, man, especially about all that. Those guys, because he was there for everything. Dude, he was there for Hulk Hogan going to like training for like the first couple times. Like he was, you know, he, to him, I remember asking him about uh, Ricky because obviously Ricky Chosha like was like his be- his best friend, right? Like, and that's a shoot. And I remember asking him about um, Akira Maeda and Ricky Choshu and all that, you know, when he kicked him in the face. All right. Yep. Yep. And just hearing the the real kind of deal behind that, and just hearing the way he reacts to all these names and uh, and how his his you know he's just dude. This guy is. You could name, you know, all these famous, super respected, legendary wrestlers, and to someone like Tiger, it's just like, oh, yeah, he's a good kid. Yeah, he's, a good kid. <laughs> hey, he's a good kid. He's a yeah, sloppy boy. Uh, you know, what I mean? <laughs> the shit he that comes out of his mouth. I mean, it is. It's he's he's a legend in his own right. So I got to learn a little bit about Hashimoto and his uh, his New York City escapades, which I think is tremendous. It's because I'm a New Yorker, so it's uh, to hear that, like, you know. Uh, you know, he's down at the uh, the South Street Seaport living it up or whatever, you know, doing his thing and hearing what he was all about when he was over here and what he liked to do. It's pretty interesting to me. So, You've got more in common with Hashimoto than you thought. Exactly. Like, you know, it's just interesting. Like, hey, man, but that's that's the way it is. A lot of those guys, those, uh, you know, Tiger Hattori is kind of like a – he is like the guy for a lot of pro wrestlers and a lot of people involved in pro wrestling and in in Japanese Japanese people in general. A lot of them in New York City, they all kind of uh, they all kind of like know each other in a way. Business owners and other people who are involved. Or if somebody knew somebody from Japan who came over here and then you know got involved in say the restaurant business or owns a store here and this and that and you know Tiger's been here like since the nineteen sixty nine nineteen seventy so knows a lot of people and a lot of those people kind of like stick together and i've been i've been lucky just from hanging out with him and getting to know him and becoming friends with him i've met some of his friends that are you know someone in particular who was uh 
involved in the in wrestling in the 80s for like a little bit or this person but then he moved here and he started the restaurant business or this guy's uh does this and then he came here and had kids with the, the this and that and so it's such a small world and a lot of those guys really stick together and uh to hear how they kind of uh you know how tiger is kind of a part of a lot of those guys coming over here and being you know hashimoto being able to come over here and experience new york city for like two months at a time and then go on vacation and they all did it apparently because you know he had the the means to accommodate them and give them that experience i mean i think that's tremendous you know i mean i think that's a perfect wrap up to shinya hashimoto getting a little insider bit there from you courtesy of tiger hattori who's a legend in his own right so i'm gonna do the rounds i'm gonna wrap this all up in a nice neat bow Thank you for listening to Noob Japan. If you're listening to this podcast, then I'd hope you already are. But if not, please follow Chris Dickinson on Twitter at Dirty Dickinson and Instagram at Born Dirty Die Dirty. As mentioned, Chris is unfortunately recovering from an injury at the moment. It's going to keep him out of the ring for another few months. And he does need support from fans. There's a GoFundMe set up. And there's also a fucking awesome shirt that New Japan have made that with all the proceeds will be going towards Chris uh, and his, you know, he can't work at the moment, of course, to help him going. So uh, check that shirt out. It's amazing. Or donate to the GoFundMe if you can. Um, Chris, thank you again for joining me. This was tremendous, better than I could have ever hoped for. Um, you know, I can't wait to see you back in the Cerulean Blue ring again for New Japan, which seems to be coming sooner rather than later. I can't wait to, man. I'm dying. I can't wait, honestly. I, you know, after I got told yesterday that my, my bone was healed and it's really like I'm on course the, the way I kind of planned it in my mind and saw it, I literally got in my car and I started almost like doing an Ultimate Warrior comeback or something. I was I was so pumped and so jacked up because I miss it. It's only been a month. And uh, like I said, I'm enjoying my vacation, but man, I miss I miss wrestling so much and I miss my, my brothers in, uh, in that strong locker room and I uh, can't wait to get back to it. This is the part of the podcast where I ask you to subscribe, rate, and review as per the commandments of all podcasts. If you would like to come on the podcast as a guest, please hit me up on Twitter at KieranRH2. That was Noob Japan. We are WrestleIn, and now we're out.